Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And good morning. Welcome to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. And I am trying to get my headphones working. I'm just going to assume that's going to work so I can hear callers. 781, perfect, Tim. Thank you. 781-837-4900 if anyone wants to join me on air today. I am alone in studio, but I have a guest uh, joining very shortly via phone, David Tortolot, Homestead Mortgages. He is a reverse mortgage professional. And we are going to be going over the ins and outs of reverse mortgages. We thought it was fairly timely as in a period of um, economic uncertainty, uh, people may be facing situations where uh, they need to find income from uh, various places. Hopefully they have various places to find income. People might be facing um, unemployment or early retirement when they didn't anticipate it. So we wanted to offer up some information for one possible resource that people have if they are 62 or older and have equity in their home. This can be a little bit of a controversial subject. Um, I have lots of discussions with clients about these where appropriate, and I find that um, mixed mixed reactions to it, I guess. Perhaps they're a little bit un-American, maybe. You're supposed to have no mortgage in retirement, and people uh, maybe are uncomfortable with the idea of them, but I do think that they serve their purpose. I do think that they have their place in the world, and I think that they're a great option for people that don't have sufficient assets to support their retirement or what they envision their retirement or what they want their retirement to be um, if they have equity in their home and if they would like to remain in their home. It's a great option for people that want to remain in their home and would like and, and need to, either would like to or need to utilize the equity in the home in order to do so. So before we get to the specifics of reverse mortgages, I just wanted to go over a few points regarding income planning in retirement, because I don't have David joining me until about 8.30. So I've spent the last couple of shows going over um, how to access money uh, in 2020, largely going over the details of the CARES Act, which is the stimulus package, the first stimulus package that the government passed um, in March 
And basically, they made it easier for people to access money from retirement accounts. Part of the CARES Act was waiving the early 10% withdrawal penalty uh, for people that needed to take money out of retirement accounts before they're 59 and a half. Normally, there's a 10% additional federal tax penalty to draw funds out when you're, when you're making an early distribution. That is waived for 2020 for people that are affected by the coronavirus in some way. And um, the other way that the government has made it easier to access money, well, several ways, but another... Uh, another great thing that, in my opinion, that they've done is they've made it easier for people to take loans from their 401ks. If their 401k plan offers the ability to take a loan, the loan limits are increased um, from 50000 to 100000 uh, 100% of vested balance or a $100,000 cap. So the government is doing what they can. And I've said this several times. I think they're doing a great job trying to make it easier for people to access money in this for many people emergency situation. But what I wanted to talk about today was gearing uh, this discussion towards someone who is perhaps, who I'm gonna use the word older, I guess. I'm thinking maybe people that are 55, 60 plus and talking to those retirees or people that were planning to retire or are retired or perhaps are forced into retirement earlier than they anticipated. I wanted to talk about income planning during a period of uncertainty. And really that's just a fancy word for where does your money come from right now uh, for your retirement years. Hopefully people have different sources of fixed income or at least one source of fixed income in the way of social security. Some people have social security for both spouses. Some people have social security and a pension. Hopefully people have at least one source of fixed income at least over the age of 62 when they become social security eligible. Um, And multiple people have many sources of fixed income. But many people, most people um, need to draw assets or draw income from somewhere else. Generally, social security isn't sufficient for one person or even a married couple to uh, meet their expenses, at least in this area of the world. Uh, We have high property values and higher cost of living than in many other areas. And so I love where I live, but uh, cost of living is higher than in Uh, some other places. So um, that's something to be dealt with. So I wanted to talk um, quickly about what's called the 4% rule. So so if for someone who is either drawing drawing income now from their assets, their investment assets, I'm going to talk about traditional investment assets for a minute, and then we'll get to real estate later in the show. But for traditional investment assets, investment accounts, brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, for someone who is either drawing out now or is intending to draw out in the near future, one of the things that they need to be cognizant of is their rate of withdrawal or their withdrawal rate from their portfolio. This is something that should be monitored ongoing. It's something that I do as a financial advisor for my clients as I'm um, ongoing monitoring withdrawal rates from portfolios. And what that means, and basically we want to ensure that someone is not over withdrawing or drawing too much from their portfolio too early in their retirement because then they risk their assets depleting before the end of their life. And then what do they do? That's a a situation that of course we want to avoid. We want to ensure that assets last for your anticipated lifetime. And that's, we can be very, that can be hard to plan for because of course no one knows their exact life expectancy. And so that can be difficult, but we use rules of thumb and uh, longevity statistics and, you know, family history and, and things like that. So there's this, there's this 4% rule in the world, in, in my world. And for a long time, you know, there's, you could just, you, you can even Google 4% withdrawal rate or 4% rule, uh, 4% portfolio withdrawal and, and lots of, and you'll get lots of hits. Of course, with Google, you get millions of hits, whatever you Google, but um, you'll get lots of relevant hits. And basically for a very long time, there's been a lot of research and studies indicating that a retiree, should draw should target about a 4% rate of withdrawal from their portfolio in order to ensure that their assets last a sufficient amount of time. So I would call that like for someone who's drawing out in their early to mid 60s if they can target something like a 4% rate of draw 
then that is likely a, re- a low enough rate of draw where their assets would last for a normal life expectancy. And so let's call that 20 to 25 years. Um, so, you know, and, and if, you, if you think about it, so a withdrawal rate is just the dollars that you're drawing out annually and it's done annually. So if you're drawing out $2,000 a month, that's $24,000 a year. And if your portfolio happens to be a million dollars, that's a 2.4% rate of draw from your portfolio. If you're, if you have a million dollar portfolio and you're, you're drawing out $40,000 per year, and that would be gross before taxes. So maybe your net deposit to your bank account is lower, but if your gross rate of draw is 40,000 a year and your portfolio is a million dollars, then that is your 4% rate of withdrawal. So that's just simple math. What are you drawing annually divided by the value of your investment assets? And just make sure you're doing it uh, by the gross before tax withdrawal. And if you're drawing out of retirement accounts, of course your net after tax deposit is gonna be less than that. So the 4% rate of draw has for a very long time been considered sustainable. And and I would say sustainable for a normal retirement time horizon. So call that 20 to 25 years. And just by simple math, if you 4% divided into 100% is 25. So if you draw 4%, in year one of your retirement and you, do, and you have no earnings on your portfolio and you don't change that rate of draw ever, let's ignore inflation and investment earnings for a moment. If you have a million dollars and you're taking that 4%, that 40,000 every year with no earnings or no, no inflation to consider, which of course you can't do that, but just very simple math indicates that you could do that for 25 years. So that's like your, your normal life, ex, your, your normal retirement time horizon. I guess normal is different for everybody. Some people retire in their late fifties. Some people retire in their seventies or, or not, or don't retire. And, and so it's different for everybody, but I'm going to call that a 20 to 25 years, like a normal in, in, in these days in the 21st century, a normal retirement time horizon. So the, the four, so 25 years is a long time. Of course, you can't ignore inflation and you can't ignore investment growth, but that's just the, the very simple math explains why the 4% rule is in the ballpark of, of sustainable. But you have to leave room for inflationary increases on what you draw from your portfolio because life does cost us more year over year. Generally speaking, sometimes we have periods of no inflation or deflation, but generally speaking, life would cost us more year over year, long-term average inflation, two and a half percent, something like that. And so you have to be able to factor that in. So if your withdrawal rate starts at four and over time, you're drawing a little bit more out, then then that 4% sort of is leaving you room for increases over time. Um, So I I just wanted to give people something to consider if you don't have an advisor or if you're sort of wondering or thinking forward. Of course, everyone should have a financial plan, in my opinion, and do this in great detail. But generally speaking, I do think that that 4% rule is a good um, general goal for retirees. If you, of course, let me caveat that with, if someone is either forced into retirement or looking to retire on the earlier side, let's call it 55, 58, then you're going to want your annual withdrawal from the portfolio to be less than 4% because you need to leave room for the fact that you're drawing out for probably a longer period of time. Of course, depends on how you live, but generally you would want to plan for your retirement time horizon to be longer. And you need to build in a buffer for inflation and you need to build in a buffer for for the unknowns in, in the markets, of course. So if you're drawing out in your late 50s, if you're forced into retirement, God forbid, as a result of this pandemic, or or if you just choose to retire, then you're probably going to want to target a withdrawal rate no more than 2 or 3% of the value of your portfolio. And then and the flip side of that, if someone is retiring later or if someone is uh, drawing out of their retirement accounts and they're in their 70s, then their rate of draw could comfortably be higher than 4% because likely they're in their time horizon, their longevity is shorter. So if someone's in their 70s, early mid 70s, maybe a five or 6% rate of draw is okay. 
it, it depends on how you live and what other changes you may have in your income or expenses, of course. And that's why I do think a financial plan is incredibly powerful. But these general guidelines, um, I think are helpful for the for people who are unfortunately maybe forced into this situation prematurely and are thinking about, well, how much can I draw from my portfolio and, um, w- you know, without risking it depleting too quickly, which is a concern for every retiree. Um, so what if you are over withdrawing? So think of a situation where you are 65 and you, maybe you do have a 20, 25 year retirement time horizon. What if you're in the situation now where you are collecting social security and maybe you have a little pension or not, or not, but you need more than that 4% from your portfolio, then what do you do? And that's going to lead us into our discussion when we have uh, David Tortolot in the phone here in a few minutes, but we're going to talk about ways of accessing equity in your home if you have equity in your home and one of those ways being a reverse mortgage. So first of all, if someone is over withdrawing from their portfolio, number one, it's better to know earlier and do something about it than to ignore it and 10 years later, you're out of money. So if you're 65 and you're you're drawing eight, 10%, the value of your portfolio right now, that's pretty scary. And, you know, number one, hope at some point in time, the markets will recover from this temporary downturn. We don't know when that will be. Um, Markets will recover. Everyone's rate of withdrawal is higher now than it was four months ago because we've had a downturn in the markets and portfolio values are temporarily depressed. So everyone's rate of draw is temporarily lower. I'm sorry, rate of draw is temporarily higher because asset balances are lower. But there may come a point where you need to evaluate, is this, did my 4% rate of draw go to four and a half or 5% when I'm in my 60s? Or did my rate of draw, is my rate of draw in my 60s, seven, eight, nine, 10%? And those are scary numbers when you're, when you're in your 60s and you're looking at maybe a 20 some odd year time horizon and, and the need for assets to last that long. So, so better to know sooner rather than later and come up with ways to alleviate that draw, whether it's now or later. So, you know, one way to alleviate the draw from the portfolio, of course, is to reduce expenses. So everyone, anyone in this situation could obviously be reevaluating their spending. And, and I've talked the last couple of shows about because of, because of the quarantine and, and, and many businesses, unfortunately being closed, people's spending is probably just inevitably down anyway. Not a lot of people are commuting. People aren't eating out as much traveling. Of course, uh, no one's traveling right now, uh, for, for vacations anyway. Um, and so spending is probably just down anyway, but reevaluating the budget when your portfolio draw is uncomfortably high is of course, step one. And step two would be where, what other assets do I have? And hopefully you have equity in your home. Some people might have a second property with equity and, and some sort of real property. So if there is real property and equity and real property to fall back on, as I said earlier, it might be a little bit un-American to be a retiree and to be thinking about using up equity in your home because, you know, the old adage, my home should be paid off when I'm retired. I shouldn't have a mortgage when I'm retired. Um, you know, I, I think that that's great for the people, you know, that's very comfortable position for retirees to be in, but things don't always happen the way we think and emergencies happen. And if you have equity in your home and you need to use it for X, Y, or Z reason, well, it's theirs. It's theirs and you built that equity and that's your money. And I think that there certainly are times when people should use their equity in their home if there's nothing else to fall back on and if they're in danger of running out of their traditional investment assets. And so that's gonna lead me into my discussion and a little bit regarding reverse mortgages because I do think that they are a tool perhaps will be, I think that they've gained in popularity over time. I wouldn't actually say that they're popular. David, when he joins me on the phone, could could agree to disagree. But 
um, I think that they will gain in popularity as this economic situation continues. And thankfully for the, for the people that do have to consider using equity in their home, thank God you have it, right? What if you didn't have equity in the home to fall back on? And, and, and so I don't think people should feel bad utilizing equity in their home because you built that equity and that's your money. And, and we're going to talk about tax reasons and things like that, why actually drawing equity out of your home is is more beneficial than drawing equity, uh, excuse me, drawing assets from another place. So, and one other thing just to add to that for the, for the people who maybe are drawing out at an uncomfortable rate from their portfolio, I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago, Kurt Zarnowski, who's a social security consultant. And we were talking about the specifics of the social security and when you can collect and the benefits of delaying, et cetera. So, you know, there might be some people out there who are forced into retirement early or whose income is temporarily down and might be looking at what are my other options. And if, if you want to try to delay draw from the portfolio, which, you know, if you're fully invested in, in in your retirement account, or your if you're fully invested in your in your investment assets, and you are in this position where you need money from somewhere, and if you're over the age of 62, well, if your investment accounts are down in value and there's no cash there, and we want to try avoiding selling securities when they're down in value, we want to allow those portfolios to recover. We want to give them time to recover from this downturn. Falling back on collecting social security sooner than planned might be an option as well. So for those people 62 or older, maybe you were hoping to wait for that full retirement age to collect social security. Maybe you were hoping to wait until 70 so that you could maximize that benefit. Those are all great things to do if you can afford to do it. But if if collecting social security earlier than planned is your best option and it, and it avoids drawing from from investment accounts when they're down in value if it and or if it avoids drawing too much from those investment accounts to to really if you're really going to hurt the chances of that those dollars recovering then collecting social security sooner than planned may be a great option for people. So if you missed that show on on social security, you can uh, check out our podcast McNamara on money. You can search your podcast app for McNamara on money um, and and you'll see that social security podcast there and, and that's really helpful information. So all the different options and strategies for collecting social security and Kurt Zarnowski is great. And if anyone has any questions for him, he, he does do individual consulting and his website is zarnowskiconsulting.com and, I, and his, his name is Polish, I guess, CZ, Arnowski.com. Um, so that's so that's a great option as well for people to fall back on social security. But so uh, we're going to take a break here in a few minutes and we're going to get into accessing equity f- in your home if you are looking for income from somewhere. And so there are options beyond the traditional cash out refinance, beyond the home equity line of credit, uh, reverse mortgages, like I said, I think they do have their place in the world. And for people that are 62 or older, I think that it might be an option if the portfolio doesn't look like it will be sizable enough to last for your retirement years. And uh, and and not to mention, you know, cash out refinances have, have been popular for a while. They were really popular about uh, before the, the, the Great Recession about a decade ago. And they started to get really popular again here a few years ago as, as real estate values became high again and people were seeing equity in their homes and, and cash out refinances started to get more popular popular in recent years. Um, but someone looking to do a cash out refinance now and maybe their income is down or they're unemployed is, is not going to be an option. If you're not employed, you're not going to be able to to increase the size of your mortgage via a traditional forward mortgage. And so options may be limited just as a result of employment situations, hopefully temporary. So there are other, there are other ways to access equity in the home. Home equity lines of credit are great. We'll compare and contrast that with the reverse mortgage here in a moment. If you have a home 
home equity line of credit with a ceiling and you haven't utilized all the dollars available to you, then that's great. That's a great fallback to an emergency reserves account. That's just a great place to go in an emergency. If you don't have a home equity line of credit, and again, you're facing unemployment right now, uh, temporarily, hopefully, then you're, you're probably not going to be able to go out and get one. So, so again, options may be limited. So that's why we're going to talk about reverse mortgages today, which are just another option and a way for people to access equity in their home. And we're going to be joined by David Tortolot, who I've known for lots and lots of years. He's a reverse mortgage professional with Homestead Mortgages in Hanover. He knows his stuff. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We're just going to take a quick break from McNamara on Money, and we're going to be right back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed and I am here solo in studio, but don't feel bad for me because I have an amazing guest via phone. I could probably drop off the line for the next 90 minutes and David could just take it. He can just, David can just go. He knows his stuff and he can talk about what he knows and what he loves to do and he is amazing. So I hope you're there with me, David. After I said that, you better be here with me. Good morning. No, this is Bob. Oh. <laughs> uh, good morning. This is uh, David Tortolot with Homestead Mortgages. He's a reverse mortgage professional. And I have known you. I was thinking about how long I've known you, David. It has got to be like 15 years, right? Yeah, I think 07, we met uh, me, you, Justin, and the Dachshunds. Yeah, that's right. I still have one of those Dachshunds. I regrettably have lost one of them, but <laughs> I still have one. another one. He's 17 years old. Um, but wow. yeah, so, and wow. you wouldn't know that you, you wouldn't know that I, well, if when I, you have such a youthful looking face, like I feel like you couldn't, it'd be hard for you to say I've been in the business for more than 15 years, but I know you have. So, cause you're so yeah, youthful 17. looking 17 years. Well, thank you so much for joining me via phone. We, I usually have you here in studio, but given the situation, happy to have you remotely so that we can all remain safe. Um, so yeah. how are you? Everyone's healthy in your family? Everyone's good? Yeah, everybody's good. I mean, um, I've been busy. You know, we'll talk about why, some of the reasons why. And more importantly, the family's healthy. And, um, you know, the, re the rest of my family, my wife's family's healthy. So good. Lucky in that regard, we're just practicing all the right things that we're supposed to be doing. How about on your end? Good. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. And I, and, um, the girl, my girls are, I, I just, I feel so thankful. Well, thankful that we are so far healthy, of course. And, but also thankful that my girls are at great ages for this. They are yeah. like loving it. They, they, they're close in age, so they play well together. My oldest, I'm sorry, my youngest is seven, so I don't have any, you know, I feel I feel bad for the working moms that have toddlers and babies and things at home. Oh, that yeah. must be so challenging. Um, my girls are just at great ages where they're fairly independent in the home. Um, you know, they don't really know how to leave me alone when I'm on the phone and stuff like that. They always need things when I'm busy, but they are, um, they're loving it. And, and thankfully we have, you know, the sun has been out recently and we have a great yard and, um, you know, the house is big enough for them to run around and do their thing and I can do my thing. So I feel very thankful for that. And I know your daughter is, I'm sure at a similar, in a similar situation. Yeah. She's 12. Yeah. She's 12 and uh, only child though. So yeah, a little bit tough. more of a challenge, but you know, with FaceTime, it's almost as if she's hanging out with all her friends every day. Yeah, that's great. All right, so so back to business. Um, you are always very organized and prepared and sent me a quick outline. I just, I spent the first part of the show doing an introduction to why people might consider utilizing equity in the home, number one, and the equity in the home in some form, number one. I just talked about um, rates of withdrawal from portfolios and what to do if you're, um, you know, sort of leading into, well, what do you do if your rate of draw from the portfolio looks like it's it's uncomfortably high either now or if it's projected to be uncomfortably high later? Um, so I just sort of set the stage and, and I thought maybe, you know, we can start wherever you want, David. I thought you could probably just start by giving an overview what is a reverse mortgage? I'm, I'm sure at this point, most people have heard of them, but um, to hear from you the explanation to start, I think would be helpful. Yeah, no problem. Well, th thanks again, Alyssa, for having me. I appreciate it. Sure. Um, so for the listeners, Dave toured a lot. I, I am one of the advertisers on ATD and have been for four years. So probably the people listening today have heard me on the radio, yep. either with your show or just on, on an advertisement. I've been originating reverse mortgages since 2003, exclusively since uh, 
about 2007. So the only thing I do is reverse mortgage financing. I love it. Passionate about it. If I always say this, that if everybody knew what I knew, probably thousands and thousands of people will be doing it. Yeah. And uh, that's just that's just the brutal truth. People just don't know what I know and they shouldn't because, it, you know, there are a lot of moving parts and it's complex. Uh, but when you boil it down, Alyssa, a reverse mortgage, it's just a mortgage. It's an FHA mortgage. So um, I think most people know what an FHA loan is. You probably do, right? Uh, a lot of younger people take it out when yep. they buy a home for the first time because it has a lower down payment. But FHA, Federal Housing Administration, oversees that loan as well as this loan. So um, there's nothing tricky about it. or it's just it's, It was designed by FHA for older people back in 1989. And back then, during the Reagan administration, the motive back then was to um, figure out a way due to the uh, baby boomer generation where if they're in their house, maybe 20 years into retirement, they wouldn't be forced to have to sell their house. In other words, they could stay in their house and borrow against it with a mortgage, just like most people borrow against their home. It's a mortgage. The process is the same. There's paperwork that you sign. There's an appraisal done. There's documents signed at closing. Some of them get recorded at the registry of deeds, and the title of the home stays in your name. The biggest difference is with the reverse mortgage FHA loan is because you're 62 or older, you get to treat, you get to pick the payment terms. So on a regular, on all regular mortgages nationwide, including the one you have and I have, we all know this, that our payments do the first of every month. This is all other mortgages. The only one that you can make up your own payment terms is reverse mortgages. And I'll get into that. Okay. But we all have to make our payment on the first of the month. We know that. We all, uh, if we don't make our payment um, until after the 15th of the month, we know we get charged a late fee. And we know that if we pay it, if we don't pay it that month and it's beyond 30 days, we get reported to the credit, credit bureaus and our credit score goes down. And if we don't make it for three months or longer, we could be facing foreclosure. So that's all other regular mortgages. This payment terms were agreed upon by the bank. That's it's just the way it is. With a reverse mortgage, because you're 62 or older, it's a mortgage and everything else is the same, but you get to pick how you pay it back because you're older. So uh, what I mean by that is if you take out a reverse mortgage, you can treat it like a regular mortgage. In other words, if you have a mortgage now, a listserv, say, let's say a 70-year-old couple has a $150,000 mortgage in retirement, which is not uncommon, Yeah, unfortunately. Um, and let's say that mortgage payment's... Um, you know, $1,500 a month. Well, they could switch it to a reverse mortgage and, and, and continue making the payment just like they were. So the mortgage will get paid down. However, if we hit a, a market like this, uncertain times, they know they have a reverse mortgage so they can stop making payments immediately without the bank having a problem with that or being charged a late fee or the credit score going down or being or facing foreclosure. And when times get better, they can start making payments again. Um, if they have a home equity line of credit right now and they switch it to a reverse mortgage, they can continue making the interest only payment. And, you know, that would, you know, going back to the, the first scenario, if you take out a reverse mortgage and make payments, then you're really treating like a, what I call a forward mortgage, meaning you're making the payments and the balance goes down because you're making payments on the mortgage balance. If you have a home equity line, everybody knows the, they only allow they only require you to make the minimum payment of interest every month. So the, I call that the loan remains neutral; it doesn't go up or down. Yeah, it I like the same. I like your term for that. That's the first word I heard. That's first term I first time I heard that term neutral mortgage for a home equity line. Yeah, yeah. and it, since you have a reverse mortgage, Alyssa, they can treat it just like a reverse mortgage and make no payments, skip the payments. The good, the beauty of a reverse mortgage is this: if you're in a retire, if you're in retirement, or 62 or older for that matter, I don't believe a home equity line of credit is the right option for you. Period. And I know that's a harsh statement. Now, I'm going to disclaimer that if someone wants to remain in their house long term, okay, long term, that's the key thing here, long term, and they don't have to stay in that house forever. They can go down south for six months of the year, but their primary home is going to remain. Um, up here in the northeast or whatever. So 
if they want to stay in the house long term, they have equity in it, and their income right now is sufficient to cover their property taxes, homeowners insurance, flood insurance if applicable, um, and utilities, and they have, say, 50% or more equity, then, and they're considering other ways to access equity, it, it's my opinion that the home equity line is not for retirees. And here's why, they're on fixed income, and if you take a reverse mortgage out at age 65, okay, your income probably isn't gonna be as good when you're 75 when that home equity line of credit expires. So I'm only telling you this because I get many calls over the past 17 years where someone calls and said, hey David, I, I'm looking at, you know, I just found out my home equity line matured, and now it's a 20 year loan, fully amortized on a fixed rate, and my interest only payment went from 300 bucks a month to now a new payment of $1,100 a month. Yeah. I don't think I can afford that, and I lost my spouse four months ago. Yeah. So, I, you know, I understand that, you know, a lot of banks, they just do this and just do that, and that's because they don't offer reverse mortgages, and I get that, but I believe home equity lines of credit, and it's just my opinion of for working class people, because the whole idea is when you take it out at 45, when you're 55, you're probably making more income and you can refinance the home equity line safely versus someone who's in retirement. So um, here's the biggest differences too. If you have a reverse mortgage and you're just setting up a line of credit, a reverse equity line of credit, uh, there's never a mortgage payment requirement and it does not expire. And it can't be frozen, canceled or reduced at any time like home equity lines of credit can. I don't know if you're aware of this, but about three or four weeks ago, J.P. Morgan Chase announced they suspended all new applications for home equity lines of credit because of exposure. Yeah. So, not, yeah. I don't know if you remember 2008. Yep. Um, you know, my home equity line of credit was suspended yep. that I had on my house. And so, you know, they, if you're retired and your bank says, yeah, just go get a home equity line. Well, it's good when times are good that it's there. But most people, when the economy goes south, that's usually when they need the money. Right. They may have lost their part-time job or, you know, like you had just said earlier, you don't, if your portfolio is going south, you don't want to draw from it at the same time and be taxed and sell at a loss. Yeah. So, but if you have the home equity line as a backup and you go and try and use it and you find out it's suspended, then what, was it a really, was it good advice? Right. You know, as a question. So, I, I, I don't. Uh, with, with the home equity line. I mean, okay. No, I was just going to say, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I think home equity lines are probably a little bit overused. Um, I won't use the term abused, but I think they're used too frequently. I, I have recommended them as like a backup to an emergency reserves account for someone who yeah. is trying to build their emergency cash and they have an equity line. It's like a great temporary filler, but it really shouldn't be your permanent emergency reserves account for the reasons that you were just saying that sometimes they are suspended. Yeah. Um, but for, yeah. for people building emergency cash, I think they're great. I do think they're great for people that are doing like a project or something and they do have an ability to pay back the principal over a period of time, or they're doing a project and they're going to be selling the property in a relatively short period of time, year, two, three, something like that. Um, but I, I do think that people borrow from or, or, or draw from their home equity lines without too frequently. I think people borrow from their home equity lines without a plan to pay it back or, right. or if they're not planning to sell the property and if they don't have a plan to pay it back, that's when I get uncomfortable with people using home equity lines. And I think that they are used a little bit too frequently without the intent yeah. to pay down the principal in a relatively short period of time. Like people have been spoiled in the last decade with really low interest rates on home equity lines of credit. So they, yeah, there really exactly. hasn't been a lot, but there is this thing called interest rate risk too. When you're, when you're carrying a variable yeah. rate mortgage and you're just paying interest only and interest rates are really low, well, hey, interest rates will, will rise again at some point. And if they rise, you know, two, three points from here, then it just gets harder and hard. Not, not only is your payment going up because your interest is going up, but then it just gets harder and harder to pay down principal if you haven't yet right. done that. So I think people have been a little bit spoiled with really low payments on equity lines of credit, even for large balances. And too frequently I see that people don't really have a plan to pay that back. And I, I guess I do agree with you that 
if you're already in retirement with no intent to go back to work or work part time and your income sort of is what it is, then, you know, using a home equity line and then just having to draw, you know, it depends on how much you'd have to draw to your portfolio to pay it back. But I, I agree with you that they might not be the best solution and they're used a little bit too frequently. Yeah, exactly. And again, they're for working class people and in some cases could even be for retirees because, you know, if I sat down with some, don't get me wrong, and I, you know, their portfolio's substantial, then, you know, if they got two, three million bucks in their portfolio and great income, then yeah, even in retirement, a home equity line may be a better tool than a reverse mortgage. But most people don't fall into that category. Yeah. As you know, it's probably the ones that I would I would say a reverse mortgage really fits in well with just about anybody that has anywhere from zero in, in savings up to a million dollars. Okay. There's different, many different applications for those people. And I have clients that have no income issues, have no mortgages on their house, and they have somewhere between 500 and a million bucks under management for yeah. someone. Yeah. So, and the whole idea is that, you know, uh, they've heard me either on your radio or, um, at a, a presentation or a panel discussion. I do a lot of speaking across the state. So, um, you know, the whole idea is the buffer asset. And you, yeah. I think you and, and Jason, we talked about that. Dr. Wade Fowle kind of got the discussions going on that. The retirement researcher, and he's revered, obviously, in your community. Um, and the whole idea is that if you're going to stay in your house again long-term, and that, you want to make that your primary hub, long term, if you have $500 million saved in retirement, why not set up a reverse equity line of credit against your house? You don't ever have to borrow it. It's just there. But here's a couple of key points is that the line of credit, while it sits there, grows always. It never stops growing because the housing value goes down. It never stops growing because the stock market crashes. So there's, there's it's unlike anything else in the country. I don't know of another financial instrument that just grows all the time. Yeah. And you can withdraw from it without, you can withdraw from the reverse equity line of credit income tax free because it's loan proceeds. So they're not counted on your adjusted gross income on your tax returns. And it's always growing. It can never be frozen, canceled or reduced because you're paying a fee to HUD as part of the closing costs. And that's their guarantee. They guarantee the, that they back the debt, and they guarantee that you have access to your line of credit as long as you're keeping the property taxes current, homeowner's insurance current, and the property maintained. But yep. those three things there I just mentioned, everybody has to do that with or without a reverse mortgage. But if you fall behind on your taxes and you have a line of credit, i got to be honest, you won't be able to get the money because they're going to force pay it out of your line of credit and make sure you get current on it. Yeah. Um, so... But if the house, if you have a three hundred thousand dollar line of credit, right, a reverse equity line of credit, and that's growing, and so now we have a housing market crash three years after you take that out, and the value goes down a hundred thousand. Well, the line of credit still kept growing, and you have full access to all of it. So you'll never make a call, and the bank says we have too much exposure because you've paid a fee for the guarantee to have access to that, and that's why Federal Housing Administration insures the debt and your access to your money, because you're paying them for that. And everybody pays them for that access and the, the backing and the guarantees. So so it's just a safer, you know, if you set that up early and you want to stay in your house and you have that portfolio and it's just sitting there. So if you just lost 20%, you know, you had a million dollar portfolio, now it's 800. Well, you don't want to go drawing that from that right now either. Sell it a loss and pay taxes potentially. Stop drawing from that. Let that rebound and recover. Now, now begin drawing from the reverse equity line of credit because that comes out again income tax free and there's no monthly mortgage payment. Yeah. So it doesn't create a new monthly expense, and it continues to grow. And it's you'll always have access to it. And when times get better and your portfolio recovers, you can stop drawing from the reverse equity line of credit. Go back to the portfolio, and in some cases, if it recovers to a point. Maybe you can pay back what you drew from the reverse equity line of credit. David, how long have reverse mortgages been around? Only 31 years. Yeah. I, I, just, <laughs> I mean, it's right. It's crazy, isn't it? Which, it's out of the bag, you know, when you, when you think about it. It yeah. was invented, I think it acted into law in 1988, Alyssa, and then 1989 is when FHA introduced it. 
So everybody has to know this. Our government invented this law. Not the banks. Our government did. But the, they don't lend the money. So they come up with products and they give it to the banks to offer it. But any, any bank nationwide that offers it also offers it based on HUD's rules because HUD's the regulator. So the rules are equal in all 50 states. Whatever someone can borrow in Alabama versus Massachusetts is determined by their age and their home's value. The costs are all standardized by HUD. It's a percentage of the home's value. So it's, it's somewhat of a level playing field. Yes, the cost can vary slightly from one bank to the next because, you know, you have back-end pricing and such, so you can negotiate certain fees. Um, but it's not this an enormous swing. And then, you know, one bank can't make an overlay if another bank can't because they're all underwriting the HUD's guidelines. But okay. so in 1989, it was introduced. It was put out there in the 90s. Banks had a hold of this loan. Uh, HUD's the regulator. It was misused. The misuse was basically this. Um, you know, people will be taking advantage of the, the elder population by setting up these reverse mortgages. They might be partnered with a financial planner or an insurance person. They'd set up the line of credit persuade them to take the money out and invest it in risky things. And so they, they borrowed, they put a reverse mortgage on their home, then they took the money out and they didn't use it for their own means or needs. They gave it to someone else to invest for them and then they lost it wherever they invested it. So HUD stepped in during that time and put new disclosures in place and safeguards. And So here we are, make a long story short, 31 years later, all of the bugs have been worked out it's a very transparent loan. It's not for everybody. And yeah. I'm not saying that you always know where I stand with this. But I, like I said, if I, I can tell you right now, there's millions of seniors nationwide living in the solution to their problem. Um, they just don't know it. And because you can't learn what I'm talking about today on the Internet or on television. Yeah, it's, and it's always been the most difficult thing in our industry, Alyssa, to how do we get this information to them? And they're just... I don't know, they're not online as frequently as you and I are, but I think 10 years from now, I'm 53, uh, we'll be a little bit more savvy when it comes to looking into reverse mortgage itself. Well, I think it will certainly, like anything, it will just take time to increase in popularity. I mean, I, I'm for the American public, I'm thankful that these are around because if you think about the world, if you think about the world that we live in, like we're in we're in this world where pretty much everyone buys a home that can because it's the American way, right? And because, you know, rents yeah. can be unpredictable and because if you crunch the numbers, it's more cost effective to own than rent, especially long term. And so we're in this world where for the people that have the means, pretty much everyone will buy a piece of real property at some point. Right. And so that's forced, uh, that's like forced accumulation of equity, even if real properties don't increase over time. Historically, of course, they have. But even if real estate properties don't increase over time, you're building equity via a traditional mortgage. And that's not so peep. So it's like the American way, right, to to own a home and, and build equity in that home. I don't think. How it contrasts that with a traditional with traditional investments. I work with people that are, that have saved and are good savers and are motivated to save and build assets. That's just the people that work yeah. with a financial advisor. But there are a lot of people in the world, the United States, that don't have a 401k. They don't have a savings. They're they might own a home, but they're not building an investment portfolio. And it's right. just it's not. I don't think there's a lot of people that are pumping money into a 401k, but don't own a home, right? And there right. are some, of course, it's just, it's not as common. So, so right. I'm thankful that these exist for all those people that inevitably at some point in their life will have equity in their home, but they haven't done a good job building a portfolio. And so thankfully they'll have something and some tax efficient and and efficient way to draw that equity from their home. And and also if you think about like especially where we live, it, you know, how real estate has appreciated over time and how it's much more expensive for a first-time home buyer today than it was 30 40 year 40 years ago, right? Like me, my my parents what is this back in the 
70s, late 60s, early 70s, bought their first house. And I want to say that they're, they bought their house for like one and a half times one of their annual incomes. Like, you know, yeah. a married couple today, the, the house that they're purchasing is multiple times the family's income, right? Like, but, you know, both parents yeah. working. Be, and, and I think largely both parents are working because of the, the values of real property and how expensive it is to own property and, and cost of living around here. And it's just, it's different. So I think for that reason as well, where the value of, your, of, of someone's real property, especially today, compared to 30, 40 years ago is such a significant dollar amount relative to their other assets and relative to their income. Um, and so I think for, for that reason that, you know, that I'm thankful that these are available to some people. And like you said, I don't think that everyone needs to utilize them, but I think there are a lot of people out there that might, you know, not, oh, I don't, you know, that's un-American. I don't want a reverse mortgage. I don't want people to know that I have a reverse mortgage. Not that anyone would know, of course, right? And it's, it's not like right. it's publicly right. disclosed. Um, and and I and think- That's all changing too. You know, that's yeah. changing because back when I started doing these in 03, I remember back then, I, the ratio back then, I think for every 12 bad articles about reverse mortgages, there was one good one. And that's flipped backwards. I mean, it's for every 12 good articles, it was, there's one bad one. And that's, good. you know, yeah. mostly because people in your industry, not the reverse mortgage industry, Harold Avensky, the Sachs Brothers from California, Wade Fowle, these people are not in the reverse mortgage business. They're in the retirement business. Yeah. So they have looked at this. And in particular, I can tell you right now, I'm in this business really for one reason only. I'm, I love helping seniors. But if the product did not have the line of credit element to it, I probably wouldn't be in the business. Yeah, yeah. It's that, that's what's intriguing to me. Yeah. Everything else would just be a regular mortgage. But the line of credit, it's unlike anything else in the country. It's just, when you think about it, you have access to your house as long as you're living in it. It doesn't expire. You don't ever have to make a payment. But you can make payments. You can sell the house without a penalty. Uh, you can get out of the loan at any time. The house is still yours. It's in your name. The bank doesn't own it. That's a common misconception. Yeah. And uh, it grows. It grows income tax-free, and the money comes out income tax-free. So what else does that? Yeah. And so if people, you know, people shouldn't be embarrassed about that. If you own a house, then you own the house because you bought one a long time ago. Yeah. And you worked very hard to pay it off. All right. And so all you really did, oh, you get something like a break. Coming. I know. We got we to take a break, but you're staying with me, right? Absolutely. All right. Uh, I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm speaking with David Tortolot. We're going to talk about reverse mortgages. How about after the break, David, we get into logistics, how people access the funds, the logistics of when they, what, how much they can take and when, and then we'll talk about costs, of course. And we're here for another hour. Uh, live in studio, 781-837-4900. We're just taking a quick break. I'll be right back. 